Good Morning Mayberry is brought to you by Amass Studio, LLC. This episode was recorded on February 13th, 2020. Three, with Christy Warda. Cognitive dissonance is a thing, right? Like, it's really <laughs> uncomfortable when two things come in that are like, ah, oh, those should contradict. They can't work together. And, like, the human brain will do, like, mental acrobatics in order to make things feel or seem logical or rational. Hey, Mayberry. It's a reasonable compulsion to feel that the more information we seem to have, the better our sense of the truth must be. Christy's back. And this time we're yik-yakking about truth, trust, and treachery in the digital age. Christy blesses us with some highlights of her attempts to teach critical listening and thinking skills to students in her public speaking and communication courses. We talk about impacts on listeners who are subjected to perspective warping by obscuring and omitting facts. How are we influenced by lying in our communities, news authorities, and our own minds? Christine Warda is a communications consultant and educator with rich and innovative experience in professional training and coaching. She's worked with a ton of demographics in her private and academic offerings. I hope you enjoy this enlightening conversation as much as I did. Should we start? Yeah, I mean, you know, we can kind of ease into it or... (laughs) I don't even know. What a what a time! <laughs> Great to have you on the show again. It's good to be back. Yeah, yeah it's been a while. Yeah, I think our last episode was uh, "Deescalate Christmas." <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah, we did. We didn't uh, deescalate Christmas, though. Um, that hasn't happened. No. no. I mean, I deescalated my own experience for sure. But yeah, now it seemed that. Uh, Everything kind of kept going as per, per the course, you know. Yep. People just, uh, they just buy into the thing. It's seasons. You know, I mean, what else are they doing? Everyone's yelling at them from every direction to like, celebrate this, do this. You're weird if you don't. So it's it's true. It's hard. There is a lot of pressure and it comes from every angle. It comes from like if people have jobs or if they're if they're unemployed but have income some other way through a program is you know people are just saturating everything and then families have their own individual distinct processes they're trying to drag arbitrarily just because certain people are related to them supposed to go do that particular tradition or whatever and, yeah you know We say that on the uh, cusp of Valentine's Day. (laughs) Yeah, that is tomorrow. I keep forgetting. It was also the Super Bowl yesterday, and I would not have known if people hadn't kept asking me what I was doing for the Super Bowl. Like I was going to be doing, it wasn't, are you doing something for the Super Bowl? Or do you you know it's the Super Bowl? Like, it's, what are you doing for the Super Bowl? Or uh, what are your Super Bowl plans? That was the primary formula. Hilarious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I had no plans for Super Bowl. You know, I bought um, sugar cookies with pink frosting to celebrate Valentine's Day. I don't know. We're celebrating our puppy's one year birthday today. We kind of chose the 13th of February. We knew February was about when she was born. She was a stray. 
we like the 13 number in our house. So we made it February 13. So we woke up singing happy birthday to the puppy, which is always fun, you know, to start the day in such a jovial way. Yeah. I mean, that's something actually worth celebrating though. You like, you conjured up a day to celebrate because there was a reason to celebrate as opposed to trying to come up with celebratory energy on an arbitrary day (laughs) themed for something that may or may not be resonating with you that particular year. Um, It's funny. It's funny. And and then of course I read an article today about Lupercalia, Lupercalia, um, which is an old uh, tradition. And it's one that I kind of tease my students with around this time of year. They have to do an informative speech in, you know, an intro, a basic public speaking college level course, um, or teach something to us. And like, I changed the assignment <laughs> over the last few years to give my students the option of like lying to us or making something up. Because I think um, part of the class of public speaking is also listening, right? And like how people listen or how they consume information. And I think there's so much misinformation and disinformation that gets passed around. Can our class be a sort of testing space for information testing? Like, can I teach critical listening in addition to public speaking is kind of how I've been going about it. And so in my demo, I talk about the origins of Valentine's Day and um, Lupercalia and like the idea of basically like women being spanked um, with leather thongs and strips of animal like (laughs) to increase fertility or something I don't know it's a tradition like in Europe, in Asia like there's a lot of traditions that do this and I talk about one of them and then I make up fully the other one it's called Comercarn and it's basically um like these these battles um for like a a desired you know woman (laughs) the suitors battle to the death and the one that lives eats the heart and that's why we eat hearts on valentine's day is basically what i tell my students (laughs) and you know what like they believe that one more than they believe like people go around spanking women with like pieces of leather and animal and like that's the real one so it's always a fun exercise to sort of get people thinking of like you know where do you get your information from like is your information trustworthy is it accurate like how easily can people make up information to you and you just buy it because it sounds good or they just sound knowledgeable or like Mm -hmm. what is it and so we started, they started performing them this week for me, um, their own. And so far, like the level of engagement from the listeners is always way higher. Like people are like, oh, when you said this, I was like, maybe that's not true. Um, and I'm just sitting here like, damn, okay, you were listening. Good. Because, <laughs> you know, and then the, the speaker gets a chance to, discri- you know, to disclose whether or not they embellished exaggerated or made anything up and it's very few that actually make stuff up but boy do they think more people are going to lie to them than um, actually do so it's kind of a fun blending of you know the informing chapter the listening chapter and ethics like Hmm. you know 
Like I allow for them to lie in this assignment and it's a real unethical sort of position to put myself in the class in. But I think it's for a better outcome. I mean, one could say it's unethical to punch someone, but if you're boxing, then that's what you're there for. Right, exactly. If you want to learn to get better or like avoid getting hit, yeah, you kind of need, yeah, kind of need some real shots. So, yeah, yeah. it's interesting that people would, um, knowing that they could be lied to in that environment, that they would anticipate it happening more frequently than it does. Does that also lead them to disbelieve information or like be more hesitant to absorb things that are true? It's hard to say because, I mean, some of them, they, they, you know, at the end of the semester, they'll tell me like, oh God, thanks to this class, I can't watch TV anymore. Or (laughs) I have a hard time getting my news on social media now because the way I listen has changed, you know? And for me, that's always a win. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I ruined TV for you. Like, good, because TV is toxic, rotten shit in most cases. Yeah, that's God's work for sure. Yay. Right, but then others, they, like, come at me, you know, with, like, some weird conspiracy theory or, like, you know, we we become part of each other's network on social media or LinkedIn and something, and, like, I see them sharing some stuff that's just not true, totally weird, like, weird made-up stuff, like, I don't, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, okay, so... As long as the source looks legit, you still believe it. Okay. Okay. And I think that's easier to do in this day and age. Like before, when I was a kid, you know, I was a newspaper delivery girl. Mm. So I would like go out and deliver the afternoon paper after school. And there was two papers, you know, that people read to get their information, you know, and there was TV news and radio news and stuff, but like... To get into any of these spaces, you you had to know people. You had to be connected in somewhere. You had to be, you know, perceived as an expert to get into them. And like now with the web, like, oh boy, <laughs> everyone's a publisher. <laughs> That's true. Well, and also people are publishing for different reasons. Some people speak and or post things to convey things as though they're a news source or stuff that they think is relevant or true or good. I post things sometimes just because I've seen that it exists and I had to develop uh, filters for that because it does, it's not received. There's always somebody that's going to be like, why would you post this? It's not true. And right. I'm like, well, like, why are you endorsing I just us? didn't put a comment. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not an endorsement. I'm just, this happened. Like, um, and so I definitely had to develop some, some different approaches to my own style of conveying stuff. I tend to not be that way with the way I speak. Um, I I don't really just fling stories or say things without context. Uh, so there was an incongruency with how I express myself digitally. I'm de- I'm definitely very different online than I am in person. I can't. Sometimes I look back at my posts and I'm like, who? <laughs> what do people think I am? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Because, I mean, honestly, like, who do we really know, like, in those spaces? Like, I mean, 
a lot of the times who we follow or like who we're friends with in digital spaces is like not who we roll with in real life, you know? No. And the people that I roll with in real life often are not, uh, I'm like a serial poster. I had to, I had to start calling myself a meme Lord to justify how many things I'm posting all the time. I remember that. But yeah, a lot of, (laughs) a lot of the people that I am close with, um, like I'm trying to talk one of my friends into coming on the show who's not online at all. Uh, very, very infrequently, I will text him a link to a post of something somewhere. And I, I'm always like, I know that you might not look at this, but you could. Yeah, I think he's got a really different outlook than almost anybody else I know, even people who limit the internet or don't do social media, but do do the internet. He doesn't really have the internet at all. Right, right. And I don't know, I have some friends like that. And like on some level, I think that they have a certain clarity because they're not confused <laughs> by <laughs> a lot of the dif- different bits of information, misinformation, disinformation, competing opinions, and all the other weird stuff that, you know, we're sitting here trying to filter through. Like, they're, they, they are more clear, but like on many levels, I feel like I'm often informing them of details of things that are happening that they're totally not aware of. And that was something like way back when we were in Occupy, like what was actually happening downtown and what we were experiencing and what people were reading about in the newspapers were two totally different things a lot of the times. And like, like, I don't know, like when I tried to at the school, like set up a teach in and start to try and talk about, you know, what was happening and stuff like, oh, man, like the campus safety officer, you know, the, the sergeant of the Hayward Police Department is trying to talk to me, call me on my cell phone. I've got um, different folks and they're all freaked out that I'm going to set up an occupation on the community college campus and like do all this stuff because they're all terrified from the media. And I'm like, no, actually we're setting up different speakers to talk about income inequality and (laughs) um, the banks and like help people, you know, have in the context what's actually happening with protesters in the streets. Like, why are they there? Like, I think that a teaching would help people understand what's going on. And they were not about, you know, really getting that information out there. And I was like, oh, the information being out there is a good thing, isn't it? You know, like, don't we need the counter narratives? Like, don't we need multiple perspectives and like social media and like digital technology really allows us, I think, a privilege in being able to access, you know, real people, real time, um, real information that's not sort of, you know, put through gatekeeper mechanisms or um, it, it, you know, either fits or it doesn't fit the agenda of the billionaire you know, news source owner. And like, if that's only where you're getting your information from, not through the web and stuff, like, I don't know, like, you may feel like you know what's happening in the world, but I don't think people there do. Do. I don't think they do. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if they're just filtering out the digital fuckery, basically, um, but they're still consuming that print. Uh, it's it's 
it's messy anytime it's co-opted. There's power in communication and expression. That's like basically our base magic that we have the, the, and our base science. Like no matter what way you cut it, it's how we're like formulating community. And so to infiltrate that um, with, I mean, it's like, there's just like a lot of shenanigans happening. Competing opinions, you said earlier, that's actually like probably a bigger issue than most of the rest of it. There's definitely people that are like coming in and injecting malfeasance into everything. But uh, also I think people are just kind of like passively programmed to, to compete for no real good reason. And then there's a lot of people that are pushed towards picking some kind of position by somebody somewhere that they wouldn't have necessarily picked up if they weren't like spoon fed it or whatever, force fed it. Like not spoon fed, more like foie, foie gras, how they feed, how they feed the geese, <laughs> like that, that kind of, yeah. Um <laughs> No, I hear that. I mean, I think, you know, when my students ask me, like, what do you do with all of these different ideas? Like when people come with so many different motivations, incentives, um, and, and, and the sort of outcomes, like who gets what by pushing forward their opinion. Um, I think the best advice that I give is just, I use triangulation, like, it's a way of looking, right? That if I can see from this vantage point and a different vantage point and even another vantage point and possibly even more vantage points all looking in on the same subject, that I can have a better understanding of how to locate and where to put the information that they're looking at mm. because I understand their biases. And I look to different, I need different opinions in order to understand what's happening, you know, with sort of anything, whether it's politics or public health or the UFOs and <laughs> balloons and shit being shot down out of the sky or like what's going on in East Palestine, Ohio. And, mm. you know, with the railway companies, like, you know, it's in some people's interest to push the narrative that this is um, a protest by railway workers because they didn't get what they wanted. I've heard that. I've right. also heard wow. that this is the fault of the railway company who has cut back the workforce and the maintenance schedules and sped up the delivery times and the movement of the trains um, to create an unsafe environment that railway workers and the union was talking about back when they were negotiating for their deal. Like you also hear the sort of environmental perspective talking about this is basically a chemical explosion and, and the dispersal now of these, you know, toxic gases or chemicals into water, soil, air in the area, like the impacts of that. Like, I think if you take any one of their perspectives, you're really missing what's happening right like I can listen to one and think that's truth and that's how I should see it but I think we all benefit from sort of looking at the different vantage points and saying oh like there's a lot more complexity you know and I have you know my own sort of opinion I have my own synthesis of this information to feel more informed 
but I stopped trusting people a lot, a long time ago about, you know, who I get my news from. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It, the internet, social media makes it hard because there's this social element where people feel like they can trust their friends and the idea of what a friend is, is really warped these days. Um, you know, and then a lot of times, sometimes I'll remember stuff and I'll be like, where did I even learn that from? Is that a real fact? Or is, was that satire? You know, was it, did Sarah Palin say it or did Tina Fey say it? Like, I'm not totally sure. Why does no one care that they're attributing Tina Fey quotes to Sarah Palin in real life for years? That's, I don't know. Are you talking about seeing Alaska from your house? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think that's how a lot of folks are conflating, like satire, like you say, like that makes it even more complex when like people literally are doing it for humor, like Mm -hmm. using misinformation in order to confuse obscure. Okay. Using disinformation, like to purposefully manipulate or influence or change, but like just being playful sarcastic humorous about some things you know like the different levels of nuance in communication matter you know Mm -hmm. for meaning i used to have a lot of conflict because i couldn't see comedy as comedy depending on what content was in it i noticed a direct correlation between people laughing and their brains getting spongy and soft (laughs) with whatever was making them laugh when I was really young, like a teen, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I was like maybe 12 or 13 when it started emerging as an idea that was concerning me and nobody else, nobody wanted to talk about it, let alone actually do something about engage with the information that we'd be talking about. It was so uncomfortable for all of us. Uh, But yeah, it just, satire is great. I'm all about processing pain with levity. Um, but then there's also this other component where depending on how far you go with it, or I think most of the problem with satire, in my opinion, at least, is that it's almost like the same people are getting to make the stuff that gets disseminated to the most minds. And they're just like scratching the same itch over and over again, collectively for society. They're like, we're just going to focus on the same people and the same issues and ha 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 ha. And that on its own is probably problematic, regardless of what else they're packing it with but the things they choose to pack it with like i don't know i don't need anybody resurrecting like the energy of nickelodeon on saturday night live which is what like that just happened kiki palmer like don't yeah nobody needs you praising keenan thompson and talking about good burger like that's we don't need to resurrect that for the children for like ourselves like we can put that in the past uh because there's too much baggage that comes along with it i don't want to think now i'm thinking about all the rest of the nasty shit that happened in their production studios and all this other stuff that is like, we can't heal collectively if we're not willing to face parts of it. And if people insist on celebrating just this one part that they like the most so that we keep talking about it over and over again. So it's, that's where humor gets dangerous for me and my mom. People will do it so casually and they're having so much fun. And I'm just like, you are making yourself ridiculous. (laughs) You're continuing to just loop the same program that somebody they just wanted some money for the moment. They got paid. They got their royalties. They moved on, but it's fused in like a spell in people's minds. Right. Because as long as the formula continues to produce the outcomes that people desire, then there's no motivation for 
a new formula, you know, and it's dangerous in comedy. I think comedy works best when it's illuminating rather than sort of obscuring, um, in my opinion. You know, and to complicate things further, then you have this sort of figurative language and levels of metaphor and communication mm. or illusion, you know, where you're speaking in code or making reference to things, you know, what I think a lot of folks call these days like dog whistles, right? Mm. Like um, whenever there's an inside meaning with specific language that one group knows that other groups don't necessarily know, you know understanding what somebody says is fully felt differently by different people who are watching because Mm -hmm. some have insight into the code and into why it's funny or what it means. And some just don't, you know? Yeah. So I think, you know, really how we get to making meaning together in ways that aren't toxic or don't entrench like the same tropes over and over, you know, I'm here for, I don't know how we get to it, but I'm here for it. I don't either because it works the same way with laughter as it does with fear and pain. And like people Mm -hmm. just keep themselves busy cycling through emotions. Like they're using drugs. Yeah. I mean, the physical response in the human body to these emotions and experiences and communication in general, like some things become addictive, some things become codependencies. Um, It's powerful what we uh, (laughs) hairless dolphins have figured out to do with like... (laughs) the squawking ability that we have and the ways that, you know, our our linguistic tools are very sophisticated and yet our listening and the other sort of objective of meaning making, like the observing and listening and understanding the receiver part of things in communication, I think is really underdeveloped big time. You know, Mm. there's a lot of people talking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. There's a lot of people compelled to develop an opinion just to have one, and then they just grab somebody else's. And they take somebody else's opinion because they really don't know how to formulate one from themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they take fragments of conflicting people's opinions, too. That one's funny. Oh, and make it not. Because, <laughs> you know, cognitive dissonance is a thing, right? Like, it's really <laughs> uncomfortable when two things come in that are like, oh, those should contradict they can't work together and like the human brain will do like mental acrobatics in order to (laughs) make make things feel or seem logical or rational when like if you were to say them out loud like maybe you'd notice they're not you know Sometimes people say them right out loud and they'll have whole conversations about it. Yeah, they gather weekly just to talk about it sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Uh, Yeah. It definitely, I mean, it's fun kind of watching it play out in my classes because I think that as a communication professor with a focus on, you know, how we develop trust with each other. Like for me, you know, public speaking is always a 
relationship building exercise. It's not about talking pretty to a group of people. It's about effectively making meaning and social relationships with people. And like, I don't know. I see people really understanding that and taking it to good new levels. I like, I see that all the time. Like, it is purposeful. They do step into leadership roles because they have the ability to stand and assert an opinion and synthesize different opinions in order to formulate their own perspective. And it, and it's a valid, real perspective that a lot of people can see and understand because they've already listened to different perspectives in order to gain that their own sort of opinion on the matter. So I have hope. I mean, I don't want to say like, the cacophony of all these voices talking on the internet make it so that truth will never be found like i don't mm. know capital t truth but like they people are definitely finding meaningful little t truths and that's i'm here for that you know it does happen that's also um it's like the it's like a starter kit for cults or something <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how charismatic the speaker is, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you, know, you know something about that, though. Gosh, I mean, boy, don't I. Yeah. Right. But I mean, you know, like you and I both grew up in sort of evangelical, um, like over the years, we've talked often about our different experiences and, you know, the group's and and rules and norms and um social reality that existed in our childhoods you know like once people believe a person boy hmm. <laughs> it's not even so much about believing a person it's about believing in a person that's where things start to get tricky right, right. or in an idea you, yeah and it's tricky for everybody because if you're in a position where you can't question somebody like internally or externally, whether it's like internal blocks or external potential consequences, or if you're a person that's suddenly finding yourself in a yes man echo chamber Hmm. or really also for everybody else that has to deal with that type of dynamic being in the community with the rest of us, it gets, it gets so bizarre. Yeah. You know, and like most people are walking around with that kind of baggage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, where we come from, what we've been through, who we've listened to, who we read, who we trust. So many of us have been betrayed. So many of us have been lied to. So many of us have have had to use unethical communication in order to survive. Like there's so many different levels of complexity to the social relationships we build or um, destroy like hmm. I don't know I think about it a lot because you know especially when we have great social problems our ability to have discourse our ability to listen to one another and effectively formulate our own opinions and our own motivation for action potentially the need is great you know and yet we've most we've hurt each other so much like in some cases, it's easier to not listen to and to walk away and to not deal with, you know, engaging a group of people in a bigger social issue. But 
on so many levels, like in order to address the problem, we have to have those sort of dynamic, intercultural, intergenerational conversations. Yeah. How could we ever really like be present or celebrate ourselves and each other if we aren't moving through and processing like conflicts and dissonance? Yeah, I think part of why people feel really alienated by a lot of the things happening in the world today is that lack of real social connection, that we don't feel like we matter. We don't feel like we're integral to what's happening. So much of it feels voyeuristic, you know, that we're watching it happen outside. But it, like, what is my praxis? What is my day to day have to do with this? Like, nobody sees my struggle. Like, you know, I think that lacking those social connections when people are, you know, invited to table, invited to policy making, invited to decision making, you know, I think people have more investment, have more motivation to work things out and dialogue across difference. But as long as people are excluded, Hmm. I think, you know, a lot of us are going to continue to feel that alienation and uh, disconnect from you know, what what we've been taught our whole lives that we're part of this society, right? Mm. Like, are, are we part of this society? And what does that mean? Because especially with people who want to manipulate folks or they benefit from that alienation, mm-hmm. you know, they benefit from people feeling disconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm definitely trying to sort out what to do about it. <laughs> It's uh, messy. You know? And in a lot of different, like, facets of life, messy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people don't see themselves as comprising society. Like, they know they're in the society or, like, a part of the society. You know, there's stuff that they'll say and, and, like, consider, but I don't. I don't think people really get that we constitute the society. Like literally everything we do and say with each other is what makes society. Uh, right. I don't know what people I, think they're talking about when they talk about society a lot of the time too. That's Right. Right. Because the example you were talking about earlier, right? Like what are you doing for the Super Bowl shift? Like it's this artificial, <laughs> socially constructed, meaningful day, right? Like, certainly you're part of our society and participating in this like you know what I mean but that in itself is constituting social behavior you know and or constitutive social behavior and the best they could get from me was that I didn't fight with them about it (laughs) (laughs) I stayed quiet for most of the conversation and contributed very sparingly they started talking about a Tubi commercial and I was like oh I know all about Tubi from the internet and so I could say stuff about Tubi uh other than that I just willfully made the choice to contribute my presence right. in by shutting the fuck up <laughs> right but like the commercial connection right the fact that we're committing uh connecting on a sort of capitalistic you know or commodificative sort of thing like that's something we're socially constructing together too always yeah. is a sort of power of marketing power of advertising power of celebrity endorsement and the mm. power of things that like to one another with the problems that we face in the world like this is meaning like it's not it's not meaningful <laughs> you know but like 
these are the gate, like, this is where we're supposed to talk, you know, as individuals. This is where our opinions matter, right? On sports and entertainment news rather than on sort of, you know, healthcare and the lack of health access for um, different people in different states throughout the nation. And, you know, talking about safety, um, talking about education, talking about, you know, human rights. They sitting, they sitting out here trying to get kids working again. You see this stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and with with safety, education, and human rights, though, when you talk about marketing, like there's a reason why it's marketing campaigns. You know, like they just directly uh-huh. moved warfare rhetoric right into the concept of manipulating people emotionally to get them to buy things or do things or whatever, and uh, it's highly effective. When you put more yeah. money into it, it can become more effective. If you can afford to pay people to pretend that they're paying attention and excited about the thing on top of all the other funding for components that you can use in marketing, then it gets really, really interesting. Um, and then we even know that people are getting paid for that. People know that influencers are getting paid to promote certain products and like whatever, almost anything in anybody big, their profile is now being treated like, um, I don't know, like a, like a, like when they blur out, you know, like there's an Evian bottle, but Evian's not the sponsor. Whatever. They just move it out of the frame. They're not going to, they just, we don't need to censor it because people are already, we all grew up on the generation of they had to blur that out and we don't want to go in post. So just get it out of the frame in advance so I can share with my 2 million followers this like crappy pill that's supposed to make your skin shiny or something. Like, I don't know. Right. But when you go like, um, since I left my full-time job, right, I've looked and read it a lot of different things of like how to make money online right and like one of the ways to do that is the product placement right like so many folks are sitting here like go with affiliate marketing go with these you know tools like the product placement is where you're going to make the most it's where you're going to get paid like you know you basically become like a a spokesmodel or whatever Mm -hmm. for um an agency or free copywriter for, you know, marketing, like ad text, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. These are, these are the ways we're making meaning together as people in ways that are so frivolous. It's, or even damaging, like look at the impact of propaganda and the ways in which, mm-hmm. you know, um, the cop story, the detective story, the SWAT, the special unit, the um, border—like the just the the overall framing of law enforcement over the last thirty years, especially in media in dialogue, has really done a lot to shape a narrative where um, the level of brutality and, and cases of abuse or sexual assault just continue to climb for that particular occupation and and uh, industry and so like the level of impact with hollywood the level of impact you know with tv shows and and how people really believe that like if they need help they have to call 911 like without 911 what would they do and you know it's it's a level of of um what happens is it becomes so deeply normalized in our society that 
um, when it comes to a crisis, when it comes to a situation, now people are like, well, maybe I shouldn't call the police, but what could I do? You know, like we don't have it meaning and meaningfully constructed, like who I can turn to for help if I don't look to them, you know, mm-hmm. but like the ways that we saturate the discourse of economy, of public safety, of healthcare, of, you know, foreign affairs. And now maybe, and now maybe interplanetary affairs because, you know, aliens this week shift. Not according to Biden's White House. I know, I saw that triangulation, right? And I was like, "Mm, they would say that. They sure would. (laughs) And everyone would be giggling and laughing in the room. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah yeah and um yeah this all what are are we doing i don't know i mean it all it all is just so bizarre it really applies to it's like it, it this this messy i don't even know what we're talking about it's almost like a negative space like element that we're talking about because so few people it's not like nobody talks about it like media literacy social literacy i suppose or some words for it but i think it's more it's both those things it's not literacy it's it's something deeper um you know it's almost like having a a sense get like something that could be fostered gets doled out or something like that and um yeah, I mean, some of it too. When I really think about it, I'm like, there's so few people that are behind the the real fuse that lit whatever momentum, the inertia of uh, this campaign kind of normalcy that we're under. Like, it's it, I, now it's it's just a normal thing for people to assume that they're going to have some kind of a marketing campaign if they have any project they're trying to promote or whatever. Even if it's not commercial, like you you got to have your promotional campaign or whatever the the rhetoric around that is so specific and i just it's you know similar to the, the darwin's books were just kind of like bastardized he he didn't write about competition nearly as much as people attribute it to him and was much more commonly noticing love and empathy and cooperation between in, interspecies and within various species so uh like i wonder if it's really maybe a simpler problem than not of i don't know like just like repetition and like just like continuously engaging people in more authentic conversation i wonder if it's like i think a lot of people look at the scope of the problem and it's just like so magnificent what do you even do it's towering and all consuming but uh i mean i think yeah what you're saying for sure and also increased skepticism like just because you like someone doesn't mean they won't lie to you, you know. Sure. Just because, you know, you've watched, you know, this person on the news, or um, you've read their stuff for years. Like, continue to stay skeptical. Continue to question people's motivation. What What do they get out of telling you certain things? What What benefits come to them by by yelling something very loudly? Because that's how I look at marketing campaigns Mm. or blasts right like it's somebody yelling at me Mm -hmm. and like okay if you're gonna spend the energy and effort to sort of holler this all out like 
if it, you know, sometimes it's just really clearly, this is for the sales or this is for the clout or, um, this is to sort of get back at someone or this is to sort of move forward an agenda of things I want to see in the future. Like whatever it is, like stay skeptical and like stay asking those questions of what people gain. Because then I think you're really sort of seeing who you're developing society with, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and you may not be able to impact change, but you sure ain't going to be played the fool. <laughs> Yeah. And really, you know, sometimes like people want to look for like, uh, like a motive a lot of the time, like, why would somebody lie to me or what, you know, it's like such a thing, but like a a lot of the, a lot of the day, a lot of the time, a lot of people are looking to each other to like launder their egos or whatever, like, and so laundering reputations at a larger level with the greater community. I don't know. It just is, it's more simple and less malicious and ambitious i think for the most part with at least the the majority of people which i think is a lot of where the momentum comes from there's just a there's only a few people printing the bullshit and like broadcasting the bullshit there's a lot of people buying the bullshit though exactly exactly and i mean i'm training people in my class to be the the speakers the bullshit artists you know on some level and in fact inviting them in this assignment to see if they could lie to a group of people it's interesting i think but with this focus also on the audience and how we receive um lies or how we receive truth and how we discern that like for me that's the bigger lesson of the assignment more than anything is really focusing on the receivers because that's where the power is. Mm-hmm. One person becomes powerful because they say something or they have an opinion or they put something forward. And then 25,000 people retweet and, and they're sharing that same thing and, you know, sort of, sort of making it bigger than it is. And, you know, sometimes we don't need to amplify folks, especially if, you know, I like, I don't retweet unless I know, like, I've looked to see that this exists or this is a new way of looking at a topic that's been widely discussed. Like for me, I'm not just out there sharing or believing everything I come across. I think that's really harmful and I'm hoping people continue to be more skeptical, triangulate, look for different opinions, like test the, you know, your theories, like, test ideas don't just take them at at value and amplify them because that it we see this doing so much harm and Mm. people die um from these things people get doxxed people get um significant harm come to them you know and a lot of it's because we all just gathered around somebody yelling loudly and went yeah Mm. without thinking God, you know, like what's really going on here and stepping back from that sort of person who needs to yell or person who needs to put out something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We're all dealing with our day-to-day stuff and what whatever it is that might drive something to be put on the internet is not necessarily what's driving people to receive it. Mm. Like we're all prone to be, you know, um, like susceptible to caring about somebody crying out or saying something or having a message. So especially when things align with our like preconceived concerns, basically, uh, 
Yeah, there's a there's something for everybody on the internet. There's a trigger for everybody on the internet. And we are in a time too where it's a bit of an uphill battle for people that do want to have a more uh like cohesive informative world um you know with like limiting comments and blocking people and what like folks can be their own little tyrannical gods uh and develop bizarre factions and they feel very they get a god high from it too the chemical rush from these things but we know that it's funny how because people i feel like like what like a year or two ago everybody was like oh no now it's common knowledge that social media was like driving us crazy on purpose. They did science and then made programs to do that. It's almost like people feel like now that we know that, they just stopped. They didn't come up with new methods to trick us into fucking ourselves up. Listen, folks have been studying sophisticated communication techniques and technologies for a long time. Do I think they're going to stop using them because people are gaining a sense of media literacy? No, I think the codes have become more sophisticated. The, the, the techniques become more sophisticated because that's the natural evolution, especially if you ate all this, you know, if you eat up the appetizer, heck yeah, I'm bringing you the nice entree, <laughs> you know, might yeah. pull some sugar for the dessert and go to a whole new level for you, you know, oh, like man. folks keep coming with it because they see it works, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> So we have to do our best to lend an ear to different perspectives, to see what more people are saying, to look for things that are real, that make sense. And like facts, the idea of something becoming a fact is because people from different vantage points can make a similar observation about something. Hmm. That's where truth, I think, lies is, you know. If different people tell you the same thing based on their own experiences or their own observations, I think that takes us to a level of fact more than one person repeating it and repeating it and repeating it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that that gets tricky. Uh, that gets tricky with conspiracies. <gasps> well, certainly, certainly. Theoretically. Right. But if you start to fall into a conspiracy or something, like, the best way to check yourself on that is to sort of look for what people who disagree with that say. Mm. What what are the disagreements? You know, and if that challenges your word, worldview, good. Mm. Like, what are the disagreements, you know? And probably why are the disagreements might be a more relevant component than what are the disagreements. Yeah. I mean, I think the moment you open up to, hey, not everybody looks at things in the same way as me or this other person I'm listening to, like, Hmm. you do find, I think, the opportunity to grow as a person. Hmm. Yeah. I think that can be terrifying for people. To I was just going to say, yeah, people don't like change. They don't necessarily <laughs> want to grow. They like, yeah. And yeah, pairing that with the, the elements of society that people tend to cling the most to. Uh, Certainty. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I don't know. Skepticism is the first step. Let's try and <laughs> help, help people find comfort in questioning. Because if they can find comfort in questions, you know, then the space for changing worldview, I think it's possible. But yeah. if you can't, if you're not thinking of or not asking questions, then yeah, you're, stu- you're stuck in, in the perspective and worldview you've got or mm. someone's given you. That can be comfortable and constricting. Right. It's okay. I'm not going to quit my job anytime soon because <laughs> it feels impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to yeah. keep ruining TV for people for years to come, I think. That's what's up. I'm going to keep doing whatever the fuck I'm doing over here. <laughs> now, I think you have some great ideas as well. I do. I'm all about it. I just don't believe anything has to be as limited or restricted as it is. No, and gatekeep. You know, like even if it's a gate, will. I'll find a hole someplace they weren't maintaining well. That's people can keep keeping the gates. <laughs> that keeps them busy while I'm finding a hole. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> scaling walls over here you watch that gate (laughs) cool thank you (laughs) so thank you Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's important to check in you know talk holidays with you a little bit (laughs) cultural things yeah you are it's always so festive to have you on the show talking about (laughs) de-escalate christmas (laughs) bleak (laughs) communications issues maybe our intergalactic community oh my god you know be neat you know be neat aliens just drop in right now and just like do some m night Shyamalan plot twist shit on us and I hate M. Night Shyamalan, but I will take an M. Night Shyamalan plot twist right now and just put us in a different movie altogether. You know, I think if if it happened, you know, at any time in the last couple of decades, it would have been shocking. I think nowadays, because of this desensitization we have to like raucous news and yelling (laughs) somebody would be like aliens are here and like, you know, some people might believe it, some people wouldn't you know, like it's true. I don't even know, but in this timeline, I would not be surprised or shocked or. Yeah. For all we know, they're already fucking with us, and what they can do is just f- change the timeline and just move us into a different timeline. Just slightly, though. Not a huge time jump, just a, a couple degrees over. So everything seems almost normal. And yet. Yeah. See, here we go making up some silly things. That's what happens when you go into a room <laughs> and you forget why you walked in the room when you get there. It's actually the timeline moved. It's not you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you want to end this on that? Fine. Yeah, but I'll be doing some it. research to check into this theory of yours and All see. Right. All right. Um, I'm telling you. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily going to agree with you, my dear, but we're definitely going to be friends for a while, even through our disagreements. <laughs> I love you. I love you. 
Would we even believe it if aliens were all over the planet already? How could we stay ethical while questioning alarmist narratives? Only you can prevent fuckery in society. Anyway, please go right now to YouTube and type in Good Morning Mayberry, subscribe to our show, check out some of our videos, give us some likes, comment a thought. Your input really matters to me and everyone here at the show. You can also give us a call at 415-3434-420. And thanks for listening and sharing us with your people. Also, again, thanks to Christy for coming on and sharing with us. Catch her in a class or on Medium. Her links are down in the description on goodmorningmayberry.com. And always remember to never forget. Certainty. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Skepticism is the first step. Let's try and (laughs) help people find comfort in questioning. Because if they can find comfort in questions, you know, then the space for changing worldview, I think, is possible. But yeah. If you can't, if you're not thinking of or not asking questions, you're stuck in the perspective and worldview you've got, or someone's giving you. That can be comfortable and constricting. Right. It's, it's okay. I'm not going to quit my job anytime soon because it feels impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to yeah. keep ruining TV for people for years to come. I think. That's what's up. I'm going to keep doing whatever the fuck I'm doing. Good Morning Mayberry is brought to you by Amass Studio, LLC. LLC.